representing them. Those are the people who are hidden with Christ and God who stand up in congregations like this and ask the question, isn't there a cause? They're not willing to sit in and settle because Christ dwells among them. And so he stands up and charges. And here's what's neat about this. As he stood up for the glory of God, multitudes followed him. I mean, I could just keep giving just the Elijahs of the world who, who literally will stand in the middle with odds of 850 to 1 and cry out for the glory of God and the fire of God will fall because these, these crazy kingdom people believe that God is forming His life in them and they're being made in the image of the Creator and they believe the impossible possible and so they live their lives as a, as a, as a, a weak but beautiful reflection of the Creator who they are becoming more and more like. So we believe this. And so those of us in this room, when we start asking this question, who, what does it look like to dwell in Christ? Those of us who are already dwelling there in our hearts, our hearts are rising up within us and saying, God, move in power. I mean, we're, I love the um, thought last week, the, those who dwell in Christ, they strain toward the eternal. When you, when you are asking this question of God, whatever we do in word or in deed, we do it all for the glory of God, which is Colossians 3.17 and Colossians 3.23, each nuanced uniquely to speak to the people. But he's li- literally saying, every movement you make is for the glory of God. And I, if you weren't here last week, the illustration was really kind of simple. It just said, many of us, and I, this was not mine, I, I stole this, so just so you know, many of us get knotted up in life. So many of us, are, this is, if this is our life, we're just kind of going, God, we want to strain for the eternal. The red symbolizes our life. And we all, I mean, isn't it funny? Wherever you're at, if you're young and you're kind of up here, if you're more of a senior and you're kind of down here, wherever you're at on this line, we just kind of tend to think this is the most important thing when the reality is this is where we live. You know, we should live this. Ow. We should live this. In light of the eternal passion, we should live this in light of year 1,317,246 in 12 hours, 11 minutes, in 28 seconds, we will be standing in the throngs of heaven, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, a part of that cloud, and we will be singing of the greatness of God at one million and something in some hours and some minutes. And, and, and those who get that, they live this red part, this extraordinary vapor with this in mind. So if that's true, then what, what would it look like for the word of Christ to dwell here? What, what would that look like for us? He says that very um, beautifully. Colossians 3.16 says that the word of Christ is dwelling among us richly. It is a powerful thing. It is the word of Christ is this beautiful, double-edged instrument of God that is pruning and challenging us. I mean, the word of Christ is this powerful tool of God that is stepping into our lives and sharpening us and cutting away. And I start to wrestle with what does that look like, God, for you to dwell among us, for you to live among us. And I am, um, after Jesus' ascension, the best picture I can get is one of my favorite. In fact, I began my first sermon here in this text. In fact, preachers love this text because we think this is what church could look like with Christ dwelling among us richly. 
I mean, this whole picture of at point of Jesus' ascension, there's this group of people that they're um, in the midst of an upper room and they're waiting and they're praying. If you want to know what the word of Christ dwelling among the people of Christ looks like, you can find that in Acts, the second chapter. God, what would, I mean, if you want to, if you're wrestling with this question, we could, as a church, go to Acts 2 and read forward as far as you want. You can read all the way through the entirety of New Testament. You can read through the book of Acts and start to say, this feels like Jesus dwelling among his people. I mean, they're, they're up and they're waiting for the God, for the Lord. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell among them and all of heaven broke loose among the people of God. I mean, the word of Christ came and dwelt among them. I mean, this mob of misfits, this this group of people who had struggled to understand what Jesus had taught up to that moment, this group of people, this group of cowards that had run in every direction at this moment, this group that had run away from from the, the, the impossible possible, this group that had run away for fear of what could possibly happen to them, this is the group that is the winds of the presence of God. The fire of Pentecost fell among them that they began to boldly proclaim the greatness of God. They began to speak of Him. And as the Spirit gave them utterance, they were speaking of the greatness of God. The Bible describes a scene that would primarily be deeply unwelcome in most of our Bible studies. The Bible describes a scene of a group of people who were completely in hand with God. I mean, it talks about, it talks about this group of people who were, who were, Jews from every nation were gathered together and they were impassioned about this. They were with the Galileans and they're trying to herd in these Galileans who were going crazy and speaking all these languages that they fully understand. Galileans, by the way, were not the apex of intellectual veracity. So they're not sitting around going, Oh, they knew all these languages. That's not a possibility with the Galileans. The Jews and the Galileans are all there. They're crying out of the greatness of God. And it was, it was enough in the midst of this to leave the people amazed and astonished. And so I'm just asking this question today. And this is a really easy question. If the word of Christ were to dwell among us richly, what would happen? I, I don't think Acts 2 will happen. That's a once in a lifetime event. But I'm also not a dispensationalist to say that was a once-in-a-lifetime event. No, no. The Holy Spirit is beautiful and He will come and move in the middle of us and He will move in such a powerful and awesome way that people will be amazed. Not by us, but by the greatness of God who dwells among us and lives with the richness that is inexplicable. In, inexplicable. In the midst of this, I love what happened next. In the midst of all this, Peter, the most unlikely, stood up and he spoke with power and authority. And he spoke with passion. The first thing he had to say, and I know this is offensive to most of you, so just bear with me for a moment. The first thing he had to say is, we are not drunk. Go to Ephesians 5.18, which Paul begs of us, please don't be drunk with the wine, but if you would follow the early church a bit and be so filled with the Spirit of God that something so magnanimous is happening among you that the first thing you probably have to say is, we are sober, but Jesus is amazing. And he started to preach in this powerful way, and he just kind of came out and said, as Joel has prophesied, And as Joel has spoken, in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit and He will dwell among His people. 
He will live powerfully among his people. By the time Peter had finished his impassioned sermon and cried out for the glory of God, he had given a great and fitting explanation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had talked to, the, to this, this group of people about what it looked like to come into salvation experience with God. And here's what it says of them. It says they were cut to the heart. And they repented of their sins. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And they were baptized for the sake of the goodness of God. And this individual story of transformation was powerful. And in Acts 2, 42-47, here's what began that we carry forward. It was the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ. And he birthed that church, and this is the text that all preachers love. We love this. Then as soon as 3,000 were cut to the heart, as soon as they understand, understood the gravity of the cross, the power of the cross, the beauty of the resurrection, and the implications in their individual lives, they were cut to the heart. Their hearts were circumcised, Scripture would say that, and they were filled with the Spirit of God. And their lives were mobilized forward for the sake of God. And here's what happened with the immediacy. They devoted themselves in Acts 2.42 to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. They broke bread. They prayed. Every single person was filled with awe. There were wonders and signs. The apostles had it going on. All the believers were together. They sold stuff. They had possessions. They gave to those who had need. Every day they met in the temple courts. This was a daily dialogue with the Word of Christ dwelling among them. Every day they were sitting and going, how do we talk about this? They broke bread in their homes. They had glad and sincere hearts. They praised God. They enjoyed the favor of the lost and the saved. The lost were just looking in going, wow! The saved were sitting on. There's unity and passion here. And the Lord added to their number daily. Those who were being saved. They repented and believed, and you should hear this based on Acts 1 and 2. Just please read it. Be a great Berean this week. Read this. They repented as individuals, and they believed in Jesus Christ in an individual journey with Christ. And immediately the church was formed, and the Scriptures began to talk about them as a group. They devoted themselves. There is no I. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All came on, listen, every soul, all came on every soul. They shared in everything together. They attended temple together. They ate meals together. Here's what, it, here's the question that's on the table today. What would it look like if the word of Christ dwelled among, not you, but us richly? The scripture does not teach, does not teach about your individual transformation as the stopping point of your faith. In fact, that's the beginning point. Because once you come to know Christ, you step into the body of Christ and you have the role and privilege of looking around you right now. And the role and privilege that we have is to teach and admonish and challenge one another and to be creatures of the Word of God and to speak the Word of Christ to one another, unfailing in each other's face, passionate, looking at one another and saying, this is the body of believers. The word of Christ dwells here. We are a collective us and we share this life together. That's the passion of the New Testament church in that the word of Christ is extraordinarily individual in your salvation and the word of Christ is deeply corporate in our understanding of the growth and the beauty and the wonder of God.
So with gifts and resources that are sitting in this room, with abilities and levels of faith, each of the believers in the New Testament church are built up into maturity. I love this. They encourage one another. They bless one another. They rebuke one another. They discipline one another. They challenge one another. They laugh with one another. They give to one another. They serve one another. They, they outdo one another in giving honor to one another. They teach one another. They are trained in the gospel with one another. And they send one another out. It will be the norm to say, we will see you later for the sake of the gospel. In the middle of this, I mean, they took the name of Christ to the ends of the earth. And that's what happens when the word of Christ when it dwells richly. And I, I can't leave this part. And I can't leave this part. And here's what I'm praying for us. That the one, there were more and more and more one another's. And the struggle that I have and I would invite you to have with me is if there is an awesome Christ who is dwelling in the midst of us, and, and please do not mistake our pagan society for any more prolific than this day. I would, I would challenge you that in the Acts Church they can supersede it. When someone in America is lit aflame for the sake of the gospel, let's talk about it. When there are competing, I won't say it. When, there, when churches are, com- I can't say it. It's not PG. And so here, here's, I mean, it is, it is not a, oh, that's just a nicer society. No, no. In the middle of this, the church is standing as a beacon of hope and light, and we are weird animals. We are a whole slew of weird animals just living out this gospel story. And people are looking and going, we need what's going on. And every day, people are discovering that we don't have the answer. We know the answer. I guess we have it and know it. We're not the answer, better said. We know who to get you to. And we, as a church, are day in and day out pointing people to Jesus Christ. I love this. And I, I just, I end with this sentence. Without the Word of God, we do not have a faith community. It's just, it's not what we're about. And the gospel precedes the church, it informs the life of the church, and it sustains the growth of the church. I just, I had super quick thoughts on this. It precedes us. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Word of Jesus Christ. It precedes it and, and brings the church aflame. God spoke and created, um, He spoke and created. Let's just leave it there. And in Genesis 3, we did a little harboring to the creation. And since that point, God has been doing His redeeming work through Abram, Moses, Israel, the lineage of David, all the way up through Jesus Christ Himself, who gave Himself on the cross. The cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was powerful. And then the invocation of the power of the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and, and the invocation of that, the proclamation came through the church. And Jesus said, look, I have been doing this redeeming work and I'm inviting you in to the reconciling work. It, it actually precedes the church. It informs the life of the church. The word of Christ dwelling among us. I mean, it is, I love Ephesians 5. The gospel forms and informs the church. Jesus gave himself up for it. He bought us with his own blood for the purpose of redeeming us out of lawlessness for himself for the purpose of His glory. That's why we're here. I love First Peter. It says, if you want to be informed about why we're here, we are a royal nation. 
a chosen people. We belong to God. And here's why. We declare His glory. Shout in town. And so, um, it, I mean, it, it, His Word is just, and it sustains the church. The church is in existence because God gave birth to it. And this is the fallacy. And if we could just have this as a moment for a reality check for us, this church did not birth 60 years ago because some people had a great idea about Mandarin. This church was birthed from the heart of God, for the glory of God. This is His church for His glory and His namesake. And when we mistake that, we fail to become His church and His Word does not reside among us. We can par- park Ichabod here. We are not alive as a body of believers by our own doing, but we are made alive by Jesus Christ for the sake of His glory so that He could come and have His way here. So that He might dwell among us richly. So that He can move among us with power. We have been rescued into His story in context of community for the sake of His glory. And I just, I just, I, I don't know. I like, I like to illustrate this. So I just want to illustrate for you an ending this way. If the Word of Christ is going to dwell, and by the way, this is where this illustration breaks down, you can't break out of here. Okay, so nothing can break you out of here. So this, just understand the illustration is messing up. But I just, I love this idea that we are hidden with Christ in God. This is our story. Rescued. Out of the kingdom of darkness. Into the kingdom of the Son of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? But then, we're, here we are in Christ, in God. And, and what I love about this, I love the little church. Because we're just like coming together. See, I don't know how you see your little story of salvation, but I see the story of salvation going on this way. I have come to know Christ. I am hidden with Christ in God. I'm in this little fest with the whole slew of people. We are hidden with Christ in God. We are sealed up when, in God, in Christ, in us. And here we are. See, this isn't your story anymore. This is our story. This is our shared, this is our shared movement. And it's even, even our story. This is God's story because we are sealed in God. He is sealed in us. We are living in Christ. It's not, it's not an individual life that you have in Christ. You're living in context with this whole body. And so here's what we should start thinking about. How do we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom so that we can be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ? What would happen if the word of Christ dwelled among a whole slew of believers? I think that slew of believers would be tethered to eternity. And our lives would be unshakable for the sake of the kingdom. You see, it doesn't matter what I believe, I wonder what we believe. And it doesn't really matter what we believe. I wonder what He is speaking about us. Jesus, I pray that the words that will saturate our hearts is to be able to hear as a church, not just individually, but as a body of believers who make up this fellowship. Way, way to go. Well done. You have been good and you have been faithful. You have, you have stewarded this kingdom of my Son well. Lord, I would love to hear those words. God, I pray that we as a church We'll just be um, impassioned for what might happen among us. Christ, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we hope, we sing, and we worship. Amen.